Hey, good morning, crowd family, and happy, happy Sunday. So blessed you can join us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 33 is today's text. We're now in part 20, part 20 of our series, Undivided. Now, before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from chapter 8 uh, all the way to last week's text, chapter 10, this chapter, chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. And remember, chapters 8, 9, and 10 have to do with Christian liberty. So I want you to follow me here, okay? In chapter 8, Paul showed that meat sacrifice to idols was not polluted or defiled, that an idol, an idol is nothing, uh, that an idol is not divine, and that there is no God but one. Therefore, Paul says, you have the freedom the freedom to eat the meat that was offered to idols. But if eating uh, meat will cause another believer uh, to stumble, then you must give up your rights, Paul says. Give up your rights out of love for that believer. As I said, love willingly sacrifices its own rights for the sake of others. Then in chapter 9, Paul had illustrated this principle from his own life, using his right to the financial support of the churches, but he set aside that right in order not to hinder the gospel. Then in last week's text, this chapter, chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, Paul provided illustrations from, from the life of his own people, the, the nation of Israel. And they had been given amazing privileges, freedoms, liberties, advantages, blessings, but they were guilty of abusing them, which was displeasing to God. They were guilty of lust, remember this, idolatry, sexual immorality, putting God to the test, and also complaining. And you see, just because they were God's people was no guarantee of immunity from temptation and sin. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 10, this chapter that we're in right now. And Paul writes, these things happened to them as examples, remember that, examples, and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, he says, be careful that you don't fall. So this is a major lesson that Paul wants the Corinthian believers, all believers, all of us to learn from what he has just said about the failure of the Israelites. And, and Paul's warning here is about overconfidence, about falling in the area of our strengths. Now, Paul also makes it very clear, and I love this, that we can be sure that, that no temptation comes to us without the provision of God of an escape. So there's a way to escape temptation. And look at verse 13. Paul writes, no temptation has seized or overtaken, overtaken, excuse me, overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. I love that. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But, you, but when you are tempted, he says, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So, so God always makes a way out of the temptation. He, he always gives us, you and I, the strength to walk away, to flee from temptation. So this now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is The Ultimate Goal. Say that, The Ultimate Goal. And in today's text, Paul exhorts, exhorts us uh, to protect ourselves from sinful activities and then gives us specific instructions for using or yielding 
our Christian liberty, and then the ultimate goal that's involved in Christian liberty. Three points. If you're ready, say yes. Come on, say yes. Number one is this. Flee. Write that down. Flee. Flee. Point number one is flee. And let's look at verse 14. Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from adultery. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from adultery. In other words, to seek safety by flight, to escape safely out of danger. And Paul had used this same word, flee, in chapter 6, back in chapter 6, verse 18, when he commanded the Corinthians to flee from what? Sexual immorality. Remember that? Flee from sexual immorality. And in 1 Timothy, write this down, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, 1 Timothy 6, 10 and 11, Paul used this same word when he commanded Timothy to flee, say that, flee from the love of money. And he writes this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Listen, friends, money is not the root of all kinds of evil, but it's the love of money. Got it? It's the love. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered, Paul writes, from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 11, but you, man of God, speaking to Timothy, says, flee from all this. Did you get that? Flee. There's that word again, from all this, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So Paul, again, exhorts the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry, to, to avoid idolatry. In fact, back Back in verse 7, remember it's back in verse 7 of this chapter, he says, do not be idolaters as some of them, speaking of the Israelites, were. Idolatry, idolatry, friends, was that sin that caused Israel to fail again and again and again. Instead of trusting God, it's now, instead of trusting God, they looked to man-made gods. Now, if you study the Old Testament, and you should study the Old Testament, you will know that whenever Israel fell into idolatry, the result was frustration, it was disappointment, it was alienation from God, and they found themselves self-defeated in war, frustrated in its economy, and in having a system of justice that had become corrupt. And, and like the Israelites, listen now, like the Israelites, just like them, anytime we drift from God's, anytime that you and I drift from God, we move away from God's blessings. Did you get that? Now remember, an idol, as we learned this last week, an idol is anything or anyone who replaces your devotion for God. Anything or anyone that takes God's seat on the throne of your heart. And again, Paul is warning the Corinthian believers, all believers, all of us here, friends, not to play with idolatry. Don't flirt with it or tolerate it, okay? Don't, don't try to see how close you can come near to idolatry without actually participating in it. Paul says, you need to flee from it. You need to flee from it. And you see, there, 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 there was always the danger that the Corinthian Christians convinced that an idol was nothing might fall back under the influence of paganism. Therefore, the only wise course was to have nothing to do with it. 
And, and that's what Paul is driving at here. And here Paul is specifically referring to the idolatry at the pagan temples. Because Corinth, we know this, right? Corinth was full of pagan temples, full of idolatry. Now, in the context, follow me here now, in the context of verse 13 that we studied last week, uh, fleeing from temptation, this verse, verse 14, must be interpreted to mean that God had already, listen now, shown them how they should flee from idolatry, right? And now they must put that exhortation, Paul saying, put that exhortation into practice and flee from all of the idols which may currently or in the future be in their lives. Now, with all that said and done, let me ask you this. What are you, or what are the things that you need to flee from right now? What, what, is the, 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 what are the people or places or things that you need to flee from? Things that are, are hindering your walk with Christ. Things that are tainting your testimony. Okay, whatever it is, listen now, friends, if it's hindering your walk with Christ, if it's tainting your testimony, you need to flee from it. Got it? So point number one is flee. Point number two, point number two is fellowship. Say that, fellowship. Fellowship. And let's look at verse 15. Write that down, fellowship. And let's look at verse 15. And Paul writes, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Now, you might know that Paul's using a little sarcasm here uh, because since the Corinthian believers tended to pride themselves on the wisdom, Paul challenges them. And Paul's saying, if, you, if you're, you're truly wise, which they weren't as wise as, as they thought they were, Paul says, if you're truly wise, carefully, Paul's saying, carefully consider, Paul's saying, what I say here. And so he says this, verses 16 and 17. Stay with me now. Is it not, pay attention, is it not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And then he says, and is it not the bread that we break a participation, a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf, or partake of the one loaf. Here Paul uses the illustration, if you haven't figured it out by now, the illustration of, of a communion service to demonstrate that the one who is a believer, the one that, that the one who is a believer is one who has fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's the one, he's who he's the one who is the very source of of our spiritual life and also the source of the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in his body. So this is about all this is about all drinking the same cup and about eating the same bread, all being a part of the same Jesus and the same body. That's what Paul is driving at. And you see a person unites him or herself with whatever he or she participates in, right? Now I want to say this because I think it's important. Here at Cry Out, we do not believe in transubstantiation. That means that uh, when we have communion, that the body and the blood literally becomes Christ's body and his blood, that the elements actually become Christ. We don't believe that. Rather, we believe that when we observe the Lord's Supper or communion, that we are just 
to remember Christ and his love and what he, and what he did for you and I on the cross. The, the elements that we take, the bread and the cup, are symbolic, say that, symbolic, of his body and his blood. So we're communing, we're fellowshipping, say that, fellowshipping with Christ when we observe the Lord's Supper. So when we take communion as we uh, did today, Paul says it involves a sharing, a koinonia, uh, an intimate spiritual communion, fellowship with the Lord Jesus, and also, Paul says, with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. There's a oneness, there's a fellowship, there's a participation. Uh, We drink of one cup, got it? And the same dynamic, Paul says in verse 18, was at work in ancient Israel, ancient Israel, as worshipers ate sacrificial meals in the temple in Jerusalem. So I want you to look at verse 18 with me now. Verse 18, Paul writes, Consider the people of Israel. He's going back to Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? So this is speaking of the, the peace or slash fellowship offering. Same thing, peace or fellowship offering. There were five offerings in the Old Testament. You had the burnt offering, the grain offering. You had the peace slash fellowship offering. You had the sin offering, and then you had the trespass offering. But the peace slash fellowship offering was the only offering, listen now, the only offering in which the offerer could eat of the meat of the sacrifice. And so they communed with God through the forgiveness associated with those animal sacrifices. So I want you to follow me here, okay? So both believing Jews under the old covenant and followers of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ under the new covenant are defined, listen now, are defined in terms of spiritual identity by, by what, they, they, what, what they eat together. It's a picture, a picture of their relationship with God and with one another. So symbolically, when we come to the Lord's table, we are saying, in essence, we eat this just as we live by it. Jesus is our source of life and strength. Communion with him, listen now, defines who we are in Christ. We are saying we have died to sin with him, and we have been resurrected to life because of his resurrection, resurrected life. Got it? In other words, there's an identity there. We're identifying with Christ when we come to the table. Now, I want you to notice what Paul does next. He's going to contrast, get this now, contrast eating at the Lord's table with eating meals in the pagan temples. And Paul shows how this dynamic applies to the temple feast in Corinth. So let's move on, verses 19 through 20, if you're still with me, say amen. Verses 19 through 20. Paul writes, Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? Verse 20, No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons. Did you get that? But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons. Not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Did you get that? And I do not, Paul writes, want you, Corinthian believers, to be participants with demons. Listen, friends, even though there are no 
other real gods. We know that, right? There are no other real gods. There are demons in this world. There are no other real gods, but guess, guess what? There is a real enemy, and his name is Satan. And Satan has his own theology. He has his own theology. You'll find it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. So he has his own theology. And guess what? He also has his own clergy. He also has his own clergy. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. And you see, Paul is concerned that if a believer is public, publicly participating in, in pagan feasts, hanging around there, eating meat, sacrificed to idols, they might open up a door in their hearts for Satan to work. Because, listen now, because demons are the spiritual force behind idolatry. Now, now I, want, I want you to hear me, okay? Let me tell you what Paul is not saying here. Paul's not saying that a believer can be possessed by demons. Got it? Okay, he's not saying that. In fact, 1 John 4.4, 4, write that down. 1 John 4.4, 4. John writes, You dear children are from God, if you're from God, say amen, and have overcome them, the world, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So as believers, we cannot be possessed by demons. However, however, we can be oppressed, oppressed by demons if we allow doors to remain open to their influence in our lives. And so Paul is warning that we can open up ourselves to demonic influence if we participate in demonic things. Now look at verse 21 because this is key. And I love what Paul says here. After saying what he says, he says this in verse 21. You cannot... Got it? Say that. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You, he says it again, cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Now, the cup of demons was the cup of wine that the pagan worshipers drank at their feast where certain gods were honored. And, and the drinking of this wine, often leading to intoxication, was accompanied by a prayer to the gods. And it was, listen now, it was a ritual that pagans went through to honor their gods. And when this was done, the pagans, listen now, the pagans were actually honoring demons. That's what Paul's saying. They were actually honoring demons. And Paul says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord. You can't. And the cup of demons, too, you cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. You can't. You can't. You can't. And Paul's simply saying it's impossible, impossible to have fellowship with God and with demons at the same time. You cannot have, you cannot have it both ways. That's what Paul's saying. Now listen, if a believer won't give up his or her idol, whatever idol it is, he or she will give up his or her intimate relationship with God. And Paul's point is, a person who professes, got to get this, his point is this, a person who professes to be a Christian cannot, cannot consistently and habitually associate with demons 
and idolatry and still call him or herself a Christian. Got it? You cannot have it both ways. That's what Paul's saying. This fact is further proven by what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 6. Write it down. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24, about how that a person cannot have in their life two masters. Can't. Can't have two masters, but just one. And Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for, the, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Referring to money. Okay, mammon. Now listen, it's not just that we shouldn't serve two masters. Rather, it's impossible to do both at the same time. It's got to be one or the other. It's got to be one or the other. Got it? Jesus said, right? Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will what? Hold to one and despise the other. That's what Jesus said. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Come on. If you're safe, say amen. I can't hear you. If you're safe, say amen. Listen, if we have fellowship with Jesus, we cannot also have fellowship with the demonic or, or the world, the worldly things, okay? Or vice versa. Got it? You see, the problem was this. Some, some people in the church in Corinth were attempting to do that, attempting to have fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with demonic influence and, and demonic um, uh, influences and, and things, okay? But their worship, doing that, their worship was hypocritical. Listen, friends, it's either divine fellowship or demonic fellowship. It's either or. Now, now, now you can't, listen, now listen, you can't be serving Jesus and serving anything else in essence. You can't be headed for heaven, listen now, and also participating in that which is sinful. You will have one or the other. Got it? One or the other. And if you choose Jesus, if you do, and hopefully you do, it must be Jesus and Jesus alone. Otherwise, you're really only serving the devil and demons. It's either or, friends. It's either or. Got it? You can't have both. And Paul's simply saying it's impossible for a pagan to eat, listen now, of the table of demons without being brought under their power and under their influence. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, there must be a separation, separation completely from idolatry and be wholeheartedly committed to Christ. Friends, as believers, we must, must flee idolatry and separate from it in order, listen now, in order to do that, in order to prove and to demonstrate that we are true believers in Christ. That Listen now, that we are truly identified with Christ. It's all about identification with Christ. Now listen, if while moving in ungodly circles, we find our hearts going out to the things they enjoy, things that are ungodly, we need to quickly, friends, put a stop to it by separating ourselves from it. Got it? 
Hey, right is wrong. Excuse me. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Don't be walking where you don't belong. I'm going to say it again. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Don't be walking where you don't belong. Listen, we, listen, we can't belong to Christ, okay, and live in the enemy's camp. Can't do it. Because any kind of idolatrous involvement contradicts, get this now, it contradicts our identity in Christ. Got it? Can't have both. Can't have the world in Christ. Can't have Christ in the world. Can't have both. Verse 22a, stay with me now. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Now, now listen, God is, is a very jealous God against any form of idolatry. In fact, write this down, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 15 through 17. Deuteronomy 32, 15 through 17. And also Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4, speaking of the Ten Commandments there. Listen, God is jealous against any form of idolatry. And God, listen now, will not, He's God. He's God, right? God will not share his glory with anything or anyone. He will not share it with anything or anyone. Write this down, Isaiah 42. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. Isaiah 42, 8. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I, this is what he says, I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Got it? Isaiah 48, verse 11. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11. Says, for my own sake, and he says it again, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory, God says, to another. Now, we need to know that God's Jealousy is not like ours, okay? God's jealousy is pure, okay? It's, it's totally committed to what's best for us. Listen, he's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. It's a jealousy that comes from his loving ownership of us. Are you with me? Listen, he loves us. He loves you and I too much for us to get away with whatever rebellion or idolatry we're pursuing. Now, if you and I, if we are truly saved, if you are a true believer in Christ, okay, he will intervene, he will interrupt our lives. Okay, He will do it if we're truly saved. He will do whatever it takes to get our attention. And by the way, he's very good at that. Got it? If we're truly saved, he'll intervene, he'll interrupt, and he'll do whatever it takes to get our attention. You see, listen, listen. When, when we're associating in any way with idolatry, what we're doing is provoking God to jealousy. Do you get that? Because God is not, why are we provoking him to jealousy? Because God is not receiving the wholehearted devotion from us, which he desires and which he deserves. He will discipline us. If we are truly his, we will discipline, he will discipline us whenever we flirt in any way with idolatry of any kind. Got it? So question, which way are you moving in your life? Think about that. Which way are you moving in your life? Toward God, toward God, closer to God, and away from idols, or away from God and toward idols? Which way are you moving? Closer to God and away from idols or the world or worldly things, or away from God and toward 
idols and worldly things. Verse 22b. Are we stronger than he? Do you get that? Are we stronger than he? Remember, the Corinthian believers claim the right, right, in their Christian liberty, the right to eat at pagan temples right there. They had the right to get the meat because they were such, what, strong Christians. They were the ones with the stronger conscience. Okay, But, but, but Paul's saying, are they, are, are they really stronger than God is? He's saying to the stronger believers, you may be stronger than your weaker brother or sister with the weaker conscience, but you're not stronger than God. You're not stronger than God. Now, when Jesus came to earth, right, Jesus came to earth, it was God in the flesh, right? And in fact, God in the flesh, right? That's God in the flesh. Hebrews 4, 15 says that Jesus was tempted just like we were tempted, but without sin. He didn't sin. So you think you're really stronger than God? No. Flee fellowship. And point number three is freedom. Say that. Freedom. Freedom. Now, now I want you to write that down and I want you to follow me here because notice Paul, notice what he does. Paul tells us what believers can do. Okay? He tells us what believers can do. Look at verse 23. Everything is permissible. Got it? Everything is permissible. Speaking of our Christian liberties, but not everything is beneficial. Then he says everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive or, or edifying uh, or uplifting. Then notice Paul tells us what believers should do. Verse 24, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. We should seek the good of others. And what Paul's doing here, he's basically repeating what he already wrote in chapter 6. Remember that? Chapter 6 about how to determine God's will concerning areas that involve things that are not spoken of in a black or white way in the Scripture. And what he does, he, he gives principles here that we Christians are to observe when determining our conduct relating to the gray areas of our lives. So with this repetition of, of what Paul wrote in, in, back in chapter 6, we see the importance of that um, overriding, overriding concern of not doing anything that will cause someone to stumble in their spiritual walk. Got it? So he says it's, it's permissible, you have the freedom, but not everything is, you know, constructive. Not everything is, is beneficial, right? And he says, whatever you do, make sure that you do it seeking the good of what others. So here's, here's the lesson. The lesson is this. And I love this. Okay, here's a lesson. Is be others focused. Write that down. Say that. Be others. Others focused. Be others focused. Now I want you to get this, okay? Edification. Okay, building up. Edification is more important than personal gratification. Edification is more important than personal gratification. And yes, I get it. You might have the right to exercise certain liberties in your life as a believer. I get that, friends. But you got to ask yourself the question, is it profitable? Is it edifying? Will it build others up? Will it? And if it does, if it does, then go for it. Go ahead and do it. But if not, if it doesn't, then don't do it. 
That's what Paul's saying. Someone said this, what you know to be permitted for yourself are not the standards by which you judge your behavior. You must consider what is the loving thing to do towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's awesome. We Listen, we need to always be others-focused instead of self-focused. I mean, think about it, friends. We just, it just is, it's, it's a natural thing that we have to be self-focused, isn't it? But we need to be others-focused. Therefore, whatever we do, friends, must be done in love. And we should always be thinking of ways in which to bless and, and to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I want to say this. If your number one concern, if your number one concern is the spiritual health of your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you don't need to worry about stumbling anyone. I'm going to say that again. I love that. If your number one concern, and it should be, right, is the spiritual health of your brother and sister in Christ, then you don't need to worry about stumbling anyone. Why? Because your concern is for their spiritual health and growth. You don't want to make them stumble. You don't want to make them fall. If you got it, say got it. Verses 25 through 27, if you're still with me, say amen. Paul writes, Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Verse 26, For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Paul just quoted Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. And then verse 27 says this. If some, get this now, got to get this. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So we now go back to the meat. Remember that? To the meat that's on sale at the local market. Back in chapter 8, we, we discussed that. The extra meat from the animal sacrifices often found its way into the what? The local store, the local markets. And it was, it was really good meat, very choice meat at a good price. And so what Paul is saying here is if an unbeliever sets a good cut of meat before you, eat it. Don't ask any questions. Just eat it, okay? D don't be the one to ask where the meat came from, okay? Just, just eat. Don't, don't say, hey, where did this come from? Just, just, just eat it. That's what Paul's saying, just eat it. Don't ask any questions. And you know, sometimes we worry too much about things we don't know about. And honestly, friends, let's be honest, as Christians, sometimes we just ask too many questions. Paul's saying, don't ask, just eat it. Now let's move on to verses 28 through 29a. And Paul writes verses 28 to 29a, but if anyone says, but, okay, eat it, don't ask any questions, but if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, verse 29a, the first part of that, the other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. So here, Paul, what Paul's doing, he's He's kind of raising a, a hypothetical situation in which you've been invited to an unbeliever's friend's home and one of your Christian friends is there as well who has a weaker conscience, a weaker conscience. And they, with a weaker conscience, they, they, they're offended or even perhaps confused by the freedom which 
with which you're indulging. So they see you ready to eat that beet, or perhaps you're even eating it, and that Christian there with you, with the weaker conscience, says, didn't you know that this is idol food? I mean, are you sure you ought to be eating this meat? You sure you ought to be eating this? And so if that's the case, Paul suggests that we might decide to refrain from eating the meat so as not to risk, listen now, not to risk leading that younger brother or sister in Christ with the weaker conscience into sin or confusing their conscience. That's what Paul's saying. Let's, let's move on. Verse 29b through verse 30. Verse 29b through verse 30. For, for why should, now this is what Paul says. After saying all that, this is what he says. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? Verse 30. If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? The New Living Translation says it like this. If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? Paul's like, hey, why should I not enjoy food? Why? Why should, I, why should I not enjoy food for which I give thanks? Why should my liberty, Paul's saying, liberty be restricted because of another person's weak conscience? That's what he's saying. Well, guess what he does? And I love this about Paul. He answers his own question. Verse 31. Verse 31. And this is the ultimate goal. This is it. Not just in liberty, in our liberties, but this is also the ultimate go in our lives as believers. Here's the ultimate go, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for what? Come on, the glory of God. That's the ultimate go. What a great verse to base all of our decisions on, right? Whenever you make a decision, friends, okay, you need to ask yourself, when I make the decision, is, is it all for the glory of God? Okay, if I'm going to do this, is it all for the glory of God? Am I going to go here? Is it all for the glory of God? Is it all for the glory of God? You see, the rule of freedom is whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with the motivation of glorifying God. That's it, the motivation of glorifying God. If exercising your Christian liberties glorifies God, if it does, then do it. Go for it. But if it doesn't, if it's going to cause someone to stumble, Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. Here's a lesson. We always have lessons, right? Here's a lesson. God's glory should be our, our single aspiration. Write that down. God's glory should be our single aspiration. I love that. I'm going to say it one more time. God's glory should be our single aspiration. Our, listen, our single ambition, our single aim, our single goal, our single desire. The chief among our goals in life is to bring glory to God. Listen, it's to shine the spotlight on God, not on ourselves. It's all about God, not about us. And that's what Paul is driving at. Uh, Oswald Chambers said this. It's amazing what he said. He said, we have a tendency to look for wonder in our experience, and we mistake heroic actions for real heroes. 
It's one thing to go through a crisis grandly, yet quite another to go through every day glorifying God when there's no witness, no limelight, and no one paying even the remotest attention to us. If we are not looking for halos, we at least want something that will make people say, what a wonderful man of prayer he is, or what a great woman of devotion she is. If you, he says this, if you are properly devoted to the Lord Jesus, you have reached the lofty height where no one would ever notice you personally. Wow. All that is noticed is the power of God coming through you all the time. Then he goes on to say this. We want to be able to say, oh, I have had a wonderful call from God. But to do even the most humbling task to the glory of God takes the Almighty God incarnate working in us. In us. That they would see God. That God would be glorified. You're safe, say amen. This is it. We are not to make an impression, a name, or a reputation for ourselves, but to God and God alone. That's what Paul's saying. And that, that's, that's deep and that's sobering, isn't it? That whatever we do in life, how we live, what we think, where we go, the things that we watch, that it would bring glory, bring glory, to God, that we would do it all for the glory of God. Verses 32 and 33, we're almost done here. Do not cause anyone to stumble, verse 32, do not cause anyone to stumble, do, you get do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, verse 33, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good. Did you get, there it is, for I am not seeking my own good. Paul was others focused but the good of many. Listen, why? Why? So that they may be saved. Paul, I love this about him, he makes himself the example. That's what he does. He makes himself the example. Having total freedom, Paul, right, has total freedom, yet giving so much of it up. Having so many opportunities to seek his own profit, but abandoning them so that others could be saved. Wow. Could you do that? Could you do that? Huh? Could you do that? Well, as we wrap this up, I, I want you to actually look at chapter 11, the next chapter, verse 1, because this verse, verse 1, kind of flows from the text. It's part of the text, I believe. And um, it, it ties it all together. After all that Paul had said in chapter 10, well, we can even say chapters 8 all the way through 10. Then he says this in chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He calls the Corinthian believers, he calls us all believers to follow him, to imitate him as he followed 
and imitated Christ. You might remember he said this back in chapter 4, verse 16, right? To follow his example. Friends, he abandoned his rights. He set aside his liberties. He made unbelievable sacrifices because why? Because he loved Christ. He loved his brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what? He also loved the lost. Therefore, anything that would offend or cause another to stumble, Paul would joyfully, willingly, and voluntarily set aside to reach a soul for Jesus Christ. And we are to follow his example. It's awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just, man, your word is amazing, and I thank you for your word. And Lord, today for reminding us to flee from the things that that don't honor you or the things perhaps that keep us from you. And Lord, might we daily come to your table and, and have intimate fellowship with you in whatever we do, whatever we do, Lord, that we would do it all for your glory. The spotlight would shine on you and not on us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Oof. Listen, um, perhaps there's someone out there who's listening and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and today you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I, sheesh, I, I want to follow this Jesus you're talking about. You know, I, I want to give my life to him. And perhaps you're at the end of your rope. Perhaps, you know, you're just saying, you know, I just, I'm just tired of living my life of just wasted and and with no purpose. And, and so if that's you in saying, you know, I, I, Pastor, I, I, I need purpose in my life. Well, if that's you. You need Jesus. And so if that's you, I want you to repeat this prayer after me because Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe within our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says there in Romans 10, 9, you will be saved. Not might, you will be saved. So if that's you, and, and uh, you're asking, you say, I want to ask Christ into my, come into my heart, into my life, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and, and repeat this prayer after me, okay? Jesus, I invite you to come into my life today to save me, to cleanse me from all of my sin, and to change me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, satisfied, justified, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. And Lord, from this day forth, I will serve you faithfully until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Someone say amen. Well, if you said that prayer, we would love to hear from you. And if if you said that prayer, you can email us at contact at cryout at C-R-Y-Y 
cryout.org. Again, contact at cryout.org. So friends, I, I, I just pray that you would be blessed today and that uh, God would bless the rest of your day and, and the rest of your week. And God is such a good, amazing God. And um, just keep us in prayer. Our leadership, we're going to get together and continue to ask God's guidance to have in-person services. Please be patient. It looks good. And I love you. And I thank God for you. I miss you all. And I will see you next week. God bless and take care.